Welcome to the One Within All Back to another episode of Interverse Podcast. And today we are going to be speaking with the magical, mystical, heathen, pagan, wizard, alchemist, farmer, rancher, Benjamin Balderson. Oh, I forgot philosopher and king in there as well. Benjamin makes the rounds on a lot of shows that I like, including Beth Martin's uh, Crow Triple Seven, probably a lot of others. And to be honest, I've wanted to speak with him for a long time, and there's been really not a single episode in the archives of Interverse where we sort of take an introductory overview look at the principles of practical alchemy as an esoteric or philosophical consideration. Ideas about alchemy come up frequently in the podcast, but I wanted to sort of start from a ground level, not too basic, but get our, get our bearings straight with what can be done understanding the principles of nature, the sky clock in our body, and how all that correlates with plants and spagyrics, which is the refining of plant matter into an exalted form, more potent than even the original. So with Benjamin today, we're going to get into these type of things and more. Also very interested to ask about this character of Odin and what a pagan cosmology feels like from the inside and how that connects with Hermes or Mercury, the great magus of many different mythologies. So I'm ready to just hop right into it. Benjamin, how you doing, my man? Oh, fantastic, fantastic. We've, uh, we're coming, coming toward the end of summer and it's been a real good year. Uh, things, are fine, things are really coming together on the farm and uh, getting a lot of work done. Uh, currently, I'm putting together the electrical system, so we're real excited about that. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, let's talk about that. So what's your daily life really like, Farmer Ben? Well, I, I live completely off grid. So one of the big things that people don't think about is, is a huge portion of my life is I have basically no bills. I, I own my property. I provide my own electricity. My water's out of a spring out the side of the mountain here that I catch into a catchment and then pump up higher up on the hill and then just gravity feed it to my house. <clears throat> so there's, there's no bills. I have uh, internet now, you know, and uh, car insurance, a few odd things like that. But my cost of living is very, very minimal. Um, I have my own chicken, so I'm they're providing eggs. I have my own milk cows. So we're getting milk and butter and all those things. Um, you can grow your own food. So the first key is, is understanding, get rid of all those bills. The, the most people pay more in just their stupid little apps and their Hulu or their Hulu and their Amazon and their Netflix and everything else. By the time they're done just with that stuff, you've pretty much covered my monthly bills. Um, so. I get up in the morning. I obviously got a five in the morning. My goats are screaming at me. They are out there just yelling. Um, <laughs> and so I get up and all the animals are waiting for me at the door, basically. And I go out and I have to feed the animals and do all that kind of thing. And then typically in the morning, it's cold. Um, where I live, I live real close to the ocean. So it's really, it gets really cold overnight. And so I go and hit the lab in the morning because a lot of my lab work I do at uh, the cold temperature in the morning. I go hit the lab in the morning 
I do that till about lunchtime. And then I come up and I live in uh, California. So by lunchtime, it's usually, it's punching up to close to 90 to a hundred. Labs too hard to get cold. So then I just last week, it's been, I'm hauling up electrical parts, putting together my electrical system or fencing, or I'm maintaining the water system, doing all the things that uh, normally somebody would pay somebody else to do. People don't realize how many hours of their life they're putting into a job so they can pay somebody else to do something they should be doing in their own home. If you just did that job, you know, like the other day, it was uh, my, my F-250 broke down. Um, it turns out there's a wire inside the uh, shifter for the overdrive that goes across the steering column and uh, plugs in. Well, as you're sitting there steering, it wears a hole in that wire. Oddly enough, even though it's just to turn the overdrive off, if that hole, if a hole wears into that, it takes out all of your gauges. It'll take out your transmission. And it just seems like your truck went all kinds of weird. Well, that was probably like a $500 fix if I would have taken it to a, to a mechanic, especially after having to get it towed into town and all that nonsense. And instead, I just fix it myself for 60 bucks, which is what the part cost. And it spent me like two, three hours that day. And I learned a, a few things about the truck. So that's a lot of my life is, is just watching YouTube videos on things I don't know, and then actually going out and applying those things. And then, you know, I said, just watching YouTube videos. I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, like that Russian guy that does all the, he built his own, uh, log cabin in like a week with all by all with hand tools, just amazing. And so then I'll get I projects in my head and I'll just go out and do those projects and it makes life a little bit better. And every time you get to learn a little bit something new and you start putting all those things together and all of a sudden you're really talented. <laughs> Man, that's such good practical uh, perspective right there because we do live in a world where the age of information means that ignorance on anything is pretty much a choice. And there might be something that you start to like dive into and try to learn about and you go, well, this is maybe worth it for me to get somebody in here because of a risk factor or something. Maybe you only get one try at it, depending on what the thing is. But really, we could be learning something new every day. And I think some of the happiest phases of my life are when maybe I'm going through like uh, some kind of online course where every day or every week I'm getting exposed to something new and learning about it. Or I figure out how to fix the garbage disposal by watching a YouTube video or things like that. It's really, it feels really good. It's really empowering. I love what you said about the low cost of living because that is completely true. Those, it gets to the point for a lot of people in today's society where they don't even know what their monthly bills are or like what their auto charges are. <laughs> There's this guy that kept I think he came to my house three times to try to sell me a doorbell video camera system. And so not only was he, I mean, this what I'm sure he wasn't really badly intended and he didn't have bad intentions himself. He's just like doing his job, but not only is he trying to get me to pay $80 a month, but also it's giving access to my like local internet network and a camera right at my house's door to some company that I don't even 
know from anybody. So that, that would have been $80. And I actually know a lot of people that have a system like that. And now I know that they pay 80 bucks a month for it. If it's like the one that was solicited to me. So it's crazy how much that adds up. And also the do it yourself approach to something like dairy would probably be so vastly superior to, I can't even do dairy that comes from a store. If it's pasteurized and it's normal in any way, even if it had like the organic label messes me up, but I've never had the chance to take a, a try of something unpasteurized and see if that agreed with me more. But, you know, what you've said is a goal for all of us. Like your <laughs> lifestyle could be a goal for all of us. We should, even if we want to be in a more urban environment, there's still a lot of ways that we can take charge and reduce and cut the bills. And even the word bill, there's so much esoteric to that B L <laughs> there's a lot of BLMs and BALs and balls and ball shit and <laughs> ball, ball earth theory. And the, uh, it's all basically the Lord, you know, we worship the bill, we worship the ball and even Baal in the old Testament means Lord. So we are getting closer to the real master of us all, which is nature and our nature, which is adaptability by getting more ingenuity in the way that we approach our life and simplicity can be a lot happier. I'm sure. I mean, just the things that you own, they end up owning you. That could not be more true. So I love hearing about your sort of daily life experience, but what's going on with the lab work? What kind of things are you currently doing over there on your mornings before it gets too hot? So, so I've switched over. Um, typically when you're talking about alchemy, when you're separating the levels of oils, you're doing that with heat. So typically what you're doing is, is every, every carbon-based life form, everything is going to have these three levels and everything's always going to break down into these threes. So you've got your three levels, your salt, your oil, your, uh, uh, oil and your carbon level. And then once you get into each of these levels, there's three also. So then each, the oil is going to break down into three levels. Now, like you take cannabis, most people are aware of that when I like using that example, because most people have some knowledge of the way that works. Um, like before the show, you were talking about CBD. Most people are aware of the CBD, the TAC, and then a lot of people today, because of that, are aware of the terpenes. Well, these are your three levels of a cannabis plant, and these are each distinctly separate oils. Now, typically, when you're trying to separate these things, the way you would do that is you would uh, put them in a distiller, and the terpene level is going to be your most volatile level of oil. And that, that level is so volatile that the morning sun, when it hits any of your plants, that's why when it hits your plants, your garden immediately starts smelling just so amazing in the morning. You walk out there and there's just this wonderful, fresh, just powerful smell. That is the terpene level of oil burning off of the plant. And, and that's that early morning, no heat, hardly sun that's able to do this. So you understand that that's an extremely volatile substance on the terpene end. Now, then you move up to the CBD, this is less volatile. So you turn up the heat a little bit 
after you've burned off all the terpenes and caught them, then you turn it up a little bit. And now that's going to burn off the CBD and you can catch that and separate that. Now what you're left over with is the THC. You turn it up a little bit, you burn that off and you're going to have some residual crap that's left over in there, some chlorophyll, things like that, that you don't want put into your oil. And this is how you separate that and purify it. Now, on the flip side, if you take and you do this in a cold manner, rather than doing your extractions warm, like most people do, where you're running a hot, where you're either running a hot uh, steam through the plant material or whatever, in order to uh, extract out the, the oil, instead, I, I've have a bunch of machinery that is freezing everything down to negative 40 right now is what I have. And at negative 40, I do my extractions. Well, then if I take the oil, which you're going to say, we're going to call the all three of levels of oil mixed together, the crude, and you take the crude and you let that settle while it's still uh, mixed in with the solvent. Well, now because of the different volatilities and weights of these oils, they're going to actually naturally separate while that's still liquid. And then you let the solvent gas off and the solvent's going to push some slight pressure. And then that's going to make it so the whole system slows down and stops. And as the solvent is uh, pulling out of the material, the most stable oil is going to start pushing together and binding and crystallizing. And so you can actually separate it then underneath a freezing cold temperature and you end up with crystallized separation rather than heating it up. Because when you heat it up, no matter what you do, that actually causes some damage to it. Um, when you look at the, the plant and you separate it into its two sides, the oil side is going to be your more feminine side and the salt side is going to be your masculine side. Now, the, a, a woman scorned never comes back. That's, that's a fact. So if you burn oil, you heat it up, it's going to change it molecularly and that's never going to be the same again. So if you do this at a cold temperature on the flip side, now that's perfectly preserved, especially on the volatile levels, like the terpene level, where most people, when they do a plant extraction, um, when it's done, it's got a nice fla fragrance. It's got a really nice fragrance and it's very strong, but them really, really volatile terpenes that burn off super easy, I also catch those. The idea is you pick the plant about four or five in the morning, in between four and five in the morning before the sun ever hits it. So that way, overnight, that oil builds up. And then in the morning, it starts burning off right away. So you pick it before the sun ever hits it. So it's got maximum oil in it, preferably during the full moon from, because the full moon is when you're going to have the maximum amount of oil throughout the month. That's you're going to be your highest oil time. You're going to pick it in the morning before the full moon, go take it. Well, because of this system that I'm doing also, I can, since I'm doing it at a frozen temperature, I can go do that immediately. So I flash freeze the plant and then run my frozen sol solvent through it. 
everything's done at a negative 40 10 literally when you take mine it's going to smell like my lavender is going to smell like that lavender did right away in the morning when the sun first hit it it's not going to lose any of that it's it's beautiful so this is why i'm doing that right away in the morning and then along with that i have some other experiments that i'm trying to proceed with that also required me to be at these flash frozen temperatures. Um, I'm trying to do a cymatics, some cymatics experiments that uh, is going to prove the things that I talk about that are very similar to what Emoto's doing. And I want what I, what I, the eventual plan here is, is I build a library of cymatic sounds and then as you can see with Emoto's work, when he took certain words, they would typically produce a certain pattern. Well, we should be able to, just like anything else, look at that pattern and create a library and then basically look at these things and see a message in it because we understand that, oh, look here, here, it says this, just like anything else. So once that library is built, now, what's going on with this is, is most people think water has memory and water does not. Um, water itself is a mercury. Now, mercury does not do the work, typically. Mercury, what your mercury is doing is, is making the transition possible. So <clears throat> when, you're, when you're looking at like electrically, electrically, the mercury is going to open up the salt in your, in like any kind of a battery or salt system and electrical system is going to open up the salt and then that will let the electricity flow through. So if you just take distilled water, charge won't pass through distilled water. It needs to have that salt put in there in order for the charge to pass through. Well, the same thing applies to the water memory. And it, when Emoto went to go put his own information into the water, because his first experiments, everybody knew he went around and collected water. Well, this water naturally has salt in it. And he went and flash froze that and found all these different beautiful patterns. Now, um, and it's meaningful a lot of times. Now, then when he went to go put his own information in it from the outside, he had to distill that water. And that what that distilling did was remove the salts, which took the memory out of the water and now when he puts external input into it, that water's not remembering other things. So he basically cleared the system. So that way you could see what he was putting in there. So that salt is what's holding on to the memory. Now, <clears throat> ostensibly, just like uh, with the different levels of volatility of the oil, we're going to assume that uh, there's different uh, volatilities of salt also. So you're, you're, more volatile salts are going to be easier to overwrite and they're also going to hold the information less. You know, like your human body, you've got your 12 typical cell salts. Your most volatile cell salt is going to overwrite the easiest and remember the least. And then your most uh, stable cell salt is going to be the hardest to overwrite and it's going to remember the longest. So depending on what you're trying to do, you know, eat your, depends on which side you're going to want to work with. But for the experiment I'm talking about, we would want to take the most chaotic so that way we could easily overwrite it. And I would find a word like, hey, chance, and 
you know, what are you doing today? And you would also have this alphabet and I send you this piece of salt that after I've taken, because like I said, the salt open or the water opens up the salt. So what the idea here is, is I take salt water, I put that message into it. I evaporate out the salt or water, take just the salt, send it to you. You put it in water and then flash freeze it and look at the pattern and are able to get that message extracted back out. Man, there's a lot of really cool stuff in what you're describing. I was just listening not long ago to a show that was talking about Renaissance, like alchemists, like some of the writings of John D and characters like that. And if I understood correctly, there was kind of a debate going on back then regarding whether or not there was such a thing as an objective meaning to, or a cert, certain symbols or sounds that had semiotically a meaning that was inherent. And when we start to study cymatics, like you are talking about, maybe there is such a language, but cymatics would be possibly the only way to discern that. And back then they wouldn't have had the type of capabilities we have now to look at things under a microscope and see how the water reacts when it's flash frozen and maybe a language is there waiting for us to understand. So it's an exciting time. We're just at the forefront. Like some of these characters, Emoto, for example, we've talked about him for years, but not a lot of us are out there actually doing the experiments like you. So I would love to hear more people doing this type of thing and trying to work out the language of the cosmos like that. So do you think that we might find some objective meaning semiotically, symbolically through studying cymatics and looking at uh, how, you know, what the meaning of this particular oil from this plant must be because it has a similar cymatic structure to putting this intention into water comparatively. Well, have you, how far have you gotten Absolutely. on this quest? Absolutely. I, I, I think not only that, but color is also going to be able to, eventually we're going to be able to backtrack color in everything. Because when, when you're talking about these things, like, like color is just a visual thing as compared to sound. Well, like when you're take, take a metal, you can take different metals and they're a metal. They're a nice solid. You can feel it. It has one different, it has one, it has all these different properties. Well, then you take and you heat the metal up, you get it hot enough and it turns a different, it'll turn a different color and produce a light of its own. And all that is, is the particles of that metal moving at a certain speed, right? And at that certain speed, eventually it produces light and you're seeing what the light particles and we've all, most of us took chemistry in high school at least. And, you know, you took different metals and put them on the Bunsen burner and some of them burn blue or red and things like that. And that's how you could even tell what type of elements are inside there. Now you take and you heat that up even further and you can start hearing metals. You can start hearing them scream and you can hear this with everything. Right. And, and that's one of the things a lot of people like they taught you in school that was messed up is, is that lights the fastest thing. The speed of light is the fastest thing and the speed of light's not even a thing. That's just an arbitrary number that somebody picked. It, it, it has no meaning whatsoever. Like light goes different speeds and sound can go faster than light. 
and regularly does. And you can look that up. It's, you know, some scientists know it now, but um, it's just not what is generally taught. And that whole well, idea, right, like is said, based eventually. on no medium for travel, like a, a vacuum or a void instead of an ether, which could have different qualities right. in different places and affect light differently. And that's just one part of the dynamic that's completely left out with the uh, so-called speed of light. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, again, none of it ever makes sense, nor tests out. It's, it's ridiculous. So eventually you'll hear the metal start screaming or what it is you're hearing up. You'll, you'll actually hear it start screaming. So you understand that sound is what's creating cymatics. You know, there was, and what that sound is creating is a structure. There's, there's a, there's a structure there and the same thing's going to apply to the light and everything. So like uh, you can, you've, there are some cosmologies where they talk about everything got sang into existence or even, uh, even the Christian cosmology where the spoken word it's, he said, let there be light. So the, the sound was the fastest. And the thought was actually the fastest and then thought transitions into sound transitions into light. And then it all just becomes denser and denser until we actually have a medium that we can touch and feel and all of our senses can interact with. Um, But at some point in time, we can backtrack that all to this singular sound. And that sound has, has a very specific meaning and all these other, and as it starts, like I said, it's a song or music where it's a bunch of songs mixed together to make one thing. So like this crystal, now this crystal is very singular. That's the very interesting thing about uh, on your very dense side. So this, this most likely would be just one sound or maybe two sounds. And we could track that down. Now, when we start taking, now this is quartz. Now we start taking other materials and we look at those and we find that there's more sounds in them, but we're also going to find maybe there's some quartz mixed into this. Well, here, well, maybe there's a little bit of this and this. So now we can start again with this, just breaking it down is cymatically this little symbol is going to mean quartz it's going to make this sound and it's all going to break down so what you're literally doing is is finding the language of god at this point and how and this is literally how things yeah it starts with sound and sound is light even so When we say, when we even make distinctions between these things, it's really just upon a spectrum of perception and where the thing comes at us from, what angle of the the circle, if you will, on the great wheel is this light coming at us from. So this is all very interesting. I wanted to know, man, I have a lot of questions, but you know, on the subject of crystals, do you do a lot of work with crystals experimentally or do you use them for any particular like effects metaphysically? Are they a part of your toolkit? I, I have a lot of crystals myself. I actually, 
I actually never get asked this. <laughs> I, uh, I used to own a giant crystal store and I love crystals. Uh, I do all kinds of things with them. When you're talking again, when you're talking about, uh, uh, the way the world works, these are the, these are the structured singular things. When as an alchemist, what I'm trying, what I'm doing is, is taking things to their singular epitome. So I'm breaking things down to their oil side. And when I say salt, I, what that is, is a crystal. And I'm, so I'm breaking things down to oil and crystal. This is just a more dense, more stable than a human crystal. Cause this is the earth level. This is, this is the macroverse level for us rather than the microverse. And because it's a macroverse, it's more stable. And on the same token, the oil side or this, this, the feminine side, the sun side is going to be more chaotic than our, than we can deal with. And the, the stable side is going to be more stable than we can deal with. So these things are, are absolutely amazing. And it gives us a more of an understanding when you're looking at, at the world. And one of the things that I, I, I kind of want to bust out here, since we're just going to go crazy with it right now and, and get on it, think, speak on things that are just uh, very far out there. Um, I don't really like the four elements in any way, shape or form. Uh, I think it's truncated just like everything else. I think the four elements are one side of it. So when you're looking at things, um, the way the four elements typically are supposed to work was that uh, uh, there was fire and then there was water. These made air and then fire, water, and air combined coalesced into earth. This doesn't really make any sense as an alchemist. What we're, everything that we're talking about is from the center level Water, air, and fire are all on the feminine end of things. Earth, earth is your middle ground. So the only elements that we're, that we're talking about are the feminine side elements, the chaotic elements. Now, the other side of the elements should be crystal. So when we're talking about crystalline, we're talking about structure. Now, when you get down to it, your original structure is in alignment of the singular uh, uh, molecules. Now, when you get to a crisp, you can take and have just a pile of quartz that isn't, that isn't structured. So you've already isolated it. Now you're talking about this is just pure quartz. There's something different and special about structured, isn't there? To the point where when it becomes a plutonic solid, Everybody recognizes the difference in the beauty of that, correct? Well, that's an epitome structuring. Right there, we have a plutonic solid. Right there, we have, we have it, a plutonic solid right there. That's beautiful. And, and anybody will tell you that that's a more pure, better piece of quartz than just some chunk, random chunk sludge, you know, that's sludged down. Now, when you're talking about electrically, one side of these things is your charge. One side is your conducting. Now, when it's structured, it's going to conduct better than when it's just a blob. But we have another level also called superconductor, where 
then all then everything is perfectly aligned and things pass through it with no resistance in any way, shape, or form. So we uh, have would an example of that be the way that under- the so one of my favorite crystals is selenite. I have a huge piece right here. <laughs> and it basically yeah. conducts light from one end to the other perfectly if it's you know structured in a where it's all straight, you know, you have one sort of column and you put a flashlight. I actually got one right here that has a flashlight on it. Probably won't be able to tell how bright it gets, but it conducts the light almost perfectly without interruption. And I've tested that by like putting lasers from one end of a, like pointing a laser into one end of a selenite and seeing that it comes out and hits the wall in the same exact brightness and shape as it would if I just pointed it at the wall without putting it through the crystal. So is that kind of an example of what you're talking about with conducting? That's, that's perfect. And they use selenite is how they figured out fiber optics. You bet. So that's perfect. Now we're talking about things pass through it with zero interruption, with zero problems, and it's instant. It's uh, when you're talking about a superconductor, there isn't a current. With most things, you you the idea is is that you're putting in a, a molecule on this side, and it's bumping all these molecules, and then knocking this one out the other end, and that's how you're getting. When you're with a superconductor, it's here and it's here at the same time. There isn't this transference like that. It's it's instant, same time. So. <clears throat> These are all, these are three different levels of stability. Now, so in my opinion, just like your chakra system, there's seven levels, and you should have seven levels of elements. So I think we're leaving out the crystal elements whenever we're talking about the elemental system. And as an alchemist, I I understand that you go from the center line, here's your earth. And, and my tree of life video um, explains this. Yeah. And earth, so like when the you're heart chakra, about your it's an anagram. It's the same word, earth and heart, just rearrange the letters a little bit. So that's the middle chakra that this system you're describing right. makes sense. I mean, I'm into it. Right. So, so when you're, you go from this center line, as you add heat, okay. Heat's your feminine side. You're going to go, like this would have been this would have been ice and then it goes in the heats up and it goes into water and then air and then plasma and it goes and then on the flip side as you're getting more dense it goes down so when you're looking at this is where you get your uh, your snake or your ouroboros or your yormungandr or any of these things because you go from the center line and you go like this well, then this very top most chaotic element matches with this very bottom most dense element. And so as an alchemist, what I do is put those two things together. This is the snakehead biting the tail. And I put those two together and intermarry them. Right on. Man, I'm thinking about other versions of the elements like in the East with Chinese medicine or the I Ching. One thing about that is they've got eight elements in their system, which is interesting too. It's different than a seven based, but 
one thing about it is that there's this quality of consciousness that is associated with a lot of those elements, like with fire in the I Ching, which is also feminine in the I Ching. It's the clinging, which is like a passionate energy, a burning, you know, and then with mountain as an element that's associated with stillness, like keeping perfectly still immovability. And I wonder like you, I think I could definitely agree that are we oversimplifying with these sort of ancient Greek philosophers, 101 explanation of the elements. And we've maybe reduced things too far, which is a classic symptom of reductionist scientist uh, behavior that's been growing and getting more serious uh, ever since the, if there was <laughs> such a place as ancient Greece, like I'm even skeptical of all that history too. Like who were these guys really? I look at some of these old alchemical artworks and I'm just like, I feel like this doesn't, couldn't have even existed in a, something called the dark ages that you're telling me was real. <laughs> you know, it's really weird. Well, well, so what it is every single time is, is the, the salt side, the crystal side that gets left out every single time. Um, when you look at their tree of life compared to my tree of life, even you can see where they cut it off and then they, they, the, that ends up being like their root is this tiny little just piece and they cut off the salt side. Um, when you look at the Abrahamic pantheon, when you're talking about if, if everything started out as sulfur and then as sulfur falls and becomes dirty and becomes these other metals, which we're going to talk about this in a moment. Um, what's going on is there's, it's gaining a density. And so when we start looking at that as a bad or an evil thing like that, the side that did that, then they're saying that this crystalline side is bad is what they're doing. And so there's always what we're doing is setting up a polarity. So there had to be fall. Now the fall is the dense crystal that falls down. The cold dense side drops. Now, <clears throat> Anytime you're demonizing, and they did that in, in my cosmology even, because with us, it's Odin, Vili, and uh, Vey. Now, Vili is the dense side, the root side, vile, Vili, vile, you know, the villain, the, the bad side. Um, now, there is a reason, there is a degradation on this side, and we're going to talk about that in uh, uh, Earth model in just a moment, but uh, that's not a bad thing. It has to happen. And when you start demonizing that salt side or that crystal side, well, that side is where your power comes from. That side's where that's your structured power side, your, your stability. Um, so what we have is, is a world like we live in today where it's all ideas. Everybody knows everything, but nobody can do a fucking thing. You know, they'll tell you all about it and want to stand there and micromanage you doing it and have no idea what the hell they're doing. They just got all these great ideas. And, you know, until you actually do them, it doesn't mean a thing. You don't really know. You can tell me, you can hand me a recipe and tell me it's the tastiest thing in the world. And if you've never eaten it, nobody else has ever eaten it. You're full of crap. It might, it might be, but it, it might taste like dog shit. I don't know. 
until somebody does something, puts hands on it, makes it real. It doesn't have any meaning. And that's just the way it is because that's the system we live in. And even when we talk about this ascension that most people want to do, that is all oil side. To truly do the great work, again, you start out at middle plane, here's us. You don't just go up, you go down. You have to go down to that deepest salt, up to that highest oil, and then bring them back together. So you're not just ascending, you're descending, and then you're bringing it all back to the middle. This whole idea that we're just going to ascend and there's some heaven where everything never changes and, and it stays the same and it's just wonderful forever. Well, how is that even feasible? Wonderful for me is not the same as wonderful for everybody else. Maybe one, you know, me, me taking a dab my entire life, somebody, that stinks. Ah! Well, you know, how is this the perfect for both of us? I maybe I, I like getting up at five in the morning. Half the people in my house are pissed off that I'm up at five in the morning. Like <laughs> that's not perfect. Like, so now I've got to wait till eight, like to get up. I, I do you set the system up even it's stupidity on, on it, even on the face of it. Like they're, they're setting up just a singular one level. They always cut this bottom side out and demonize the crystal and salt side. And what that's done is, is disempower us as a people. We have no power. And it's going to continue like that until we get back into that salt side. Even when you're talking about uh, one of the things that I've been, I tried getting across to Crow last time, and I'm going to talk to him again about this, was um, when you look at the Castor and Pollock story, Yes, Castor is the bright, shining one, and Pollux is def defiled and evil and all this. But the thing is, is then Pollux means that. Paul and Lux, though, means hidden light. You got to go to down to get up. This is why in the tarot and everything else, you, in order to continue on, you've got to go into the hangman position, which is upside down. It's upside down. And his leg is always crossed in that four thing as an alchemist. And this is why you start doing plant alchemy and you use the rule as above, so below. As an alchemist, you go to the simplest level and you see how things work. And then you carry that up. So I understand that when I'm, when I'm doing my work, I need to open this crystal up, open the salt up. And then I need to take that sulfur and get that sulfur imbued into that crystal. And what's going to do that is the mercury. The mercury is going to open it up and it's going to amalgamate this sulfur and amalgamate this salt. And it's going to make it all one thing. And that's through that mercury. And it's that understanding of doing that process in my lab and watching it over and over and over and understanding that, that I can carry that on to a philosophical level and start carrying it on to other things in the world and looking at it because I fully understand the mechanics of it. So <clears throat> with that, we're going to quick go into the world model because I was teasing everybody about that. Um, now, when you're looking at it, everybody calls the sun masculine now, and that's an Abrahamic thing. It's a weird thing. I don't, uh, I don't Tolkien understand refers to why it as a, a feminine. That. 
and the moon is masculine in his cosmology it, it of is. Lord of the Rings. And almost every other cosmology, Abrahamic is singularly the most, is the only one. And you can find other ones that have the sun as feminine, but then when you backtrack it, that only happened after the Christianization of that culture. So that's a, that's a, a Abrahamic thing, putting the sun as masculine. Now, the unit, our world basically is a big battery. And so what we have is, is as, and this is the way it works as an alchemist, the sun is gold and the moon is silver. Now, and then each of the other planets, you know, like Venus is copper, Mars is iron, blah, blah, blah. Now, each of these planets is basically an electrical plate. The sun is the cathode and the moon is the anode. Now, what happens is the moon, which is the masculine side, needs to degrade. This is where we were teasing with that degrading, defiling thing. So what happens is, is it oxidates and it releases two electrons. Now, those two electrons flow from the moon over to the sun. Now, this changes an imbalance in the sun because now the sun has gained a charge. So now the sun actually will grab onto two ions also out of this uh, anode, and it'll pass that over to the cathode. And this all happens during a gestation or a pregnancy period. Now that that has all passed over to the cathode, the cathode is a plus two. We'll say if both these things were zero and the system just today started, now that the anode has degraded, that becomes a negative two. It passes these over and this becomes a plus two. Now this has extra electrons it can give out. So this is where the sun passes that spring or early morning energy. This is why the early morning sunlight and the spring sunlight has that special essence to it is this, that impregnated energy. The sun is able to pass that on. And as, that sun, as the sun passes that on, the moon, which is actually silver, soaks that in and so, soaks in the essence of that. And it be, when, the, um, when the moon particles become charged, and this is part of why the moon looks so solid, when the moon particles become charged, the energy will actually bind in between them and it'll take on a solid essence. And this is a thing that you can do in any laboratory, um, which is particulated silver. And then as it leaves, as that energy degrades, it leaves as a luminescence. And so that's why the sun always, or the moon goes, it goes, it fills up from one side and then it always empties out from like that too, because that's pick, that's, it's not actually projecting the light back from the sun, but it's picking up that Ostara energy that the sun gave out. Now, the other thing that happens here is those two electrons passed back out of the sun, but the ions did not. So what's going on is, is now the anode is actually shrinking and it's passing these uh, molecules over to the cathode. So the silver is becoming gold. And this is a literal transmutation. And it's just happening um, in a galvanic cell. 
So now with the other plates or the other luminaries, those degrade and become and send it to the anode. And then the anode passes it to the cathode. And this is why alchemically everything becomes silver and then gold. Now, and all this is just a typical galvanic cell that anybody can build in any laboratory. Now, after all these metals have degraded, and the battery's worn itself out, what you're gonna have is, is a bunch of deplete metals and a, and a cathode that is a big bar of gold. So all these metals eventually become gold. Now, the only way to get this to reverse is, is you take this anode and you throw a giant charge into it. If you do that, it will literally break apart because we know when you put metal when you put uh, electricity or heat into metal, it will start breaking apart. And this will literally become these other plates or luminaries. So what we're seeing is, is the expansion and then the retraction of the universe. Everything started out as the sun and then boom, 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 boom as it degraded and fell. But what's happening is, is it's becoming more solid, more dense. And then as it retracts and sucks back into the sun. But that, again, is only on the etheric side, which is one of the things that everybody always leaves out of their cosmologies. Oh, it's in the cosmology, but in our today's thinking, it gets left out. Like when you look at it, like even in Greek cosmology, they had all the, the, the star gods, but then they also had the Titans. And the Titans were in Tartarus, which was underneath the earth, which would be the crystal side. It's underneath that mid midline. So all the stories we talk about like that would just be the ether side or the brain. It wouldn't be your, your goat side or your groin, your, where you get your power from. You know, when you talk about, when you talk about going and doing something and getting something done, it's not, well, brain up, it's nut up, right? So your, your power is coming from down there. Like, so we always want to leave that out in our thought process. So after we've now figured out that entire system and the luminaries, now we understand that all we've really done is figured out the oil side. Now you got to turn around and you got to flip that over and you got to do the same thing with the salt side until you get to your most dense salt. And that's going to match up with your sun. Very, very interesting breakdown. Thank you for all that. I felt like I was taking a class. So it was really awesome. And I, couldn't help but think, especially at the beginning when you were talking about how the salt side or the crystal side is removed from so many philosophical conceptions of things and how people have a lot of ideas, but not a, they don't take a lot of action, right? <clears throat> so if the salt is the masculine side, the crystal side, and we see less action, less yang in the world, then that is a perfect description of the demasculinization of society. Uh, it, it started in thought maybe, or the thought, the thinking reflects it, but it's always been, what do, you, what do you think? Is there a universal dynamic between sort of like nothingness and somethingness maybe that leads to the void side kind of trying to take out the, the crystal side, <laughs> the salt side? If that makes sense, like, well, not to break this down to a war of the sexes in humanity, because that's how the media tries to turn it into 
as a per because they somebody knows that this dynamic exists in the cosmos and uses it to their advantage in a divide and conquer sense. But what can you say about that? Is there a reason why this trend to sort of neuter the male in modern the modern world exists, or is it just a simple like the rulers don't want people who could actually fight them? Well, what this is is a cyclical thing. And uh, you just brought up Tolkien, so we'll, we'll use him, and that's his is brilliant. So what you have is is when you start out, and uh, you always start out with like your garden, okay? You you imagine things, and and most calendars we assume starts out, and you know most your truth earth communities assume starts out in March, which which is your which is spring, so with that is the return of the king. And that's where a lot of these stories in different cosmologies start. The same thing with like uh, in the heathen cosmology, um, we had a story, the same thing where he goes and that's where Lord of the Rings, part of the Lord of the Rings is based off of is first thing he does is go and reforge the broken sword. And it's always, the story starts out there. So, you know, there was a story before because we have a, a, a sword that was this great mystical sword that held all this power that's been broken. And so in the spring, we always start the story out with the reforging of that sword. So we understand that that's the beginning of the cycle. We are currently at the end of a cycle. So the reforging of the sword is the return of the masculine power. Now, that is always your springtime. Now, when you're looking at like even in my lab, if I take my tube that I fill with plant material, in order for me to extract out of that tube, I need to suck it down to a real heavy negative vac vacuum. And so what we can look at that is, is as winter, and that's your feminine. And so what's going on is everything's breaking down and dying. Now, after that's been at the end of winter, we have that Ostara energy or spring energy, impregnated energy. And so we have the return of the masculine with this. It's not just strictly feminine, it's feminine and masculine. We have the reforging of the sword. We have that masculine power returned. And so everything has life and energy. And you look at your very your very first spring energy and there's so much life it's everything changes just every day that plant that was this big yesterday and had two leaves is this big today and has six you're like what the hell how'd that even happen and this is the reforging of the sword this is that masculine return well then it's always the return of the king and so then it's you move into your high masculine which is summer where those things that uh, you started in the spring are now take, that's basically all we're talking about. And it's just head on straight line. Well, then at the end of that, we have to have the more the return of the the feminine because that was a masculine period. And just like in high summer, there quits being any chaotic change. You look at the plants in between June and July, there isn't any change really. It, it, it's it, they got taller. They did that straight line thing, but they aren't they aren't really doing any crazy change. So that high masculine is also a shitty time 
It, it, it's not comfortable. Nobody's happy in high summer. It really just kind of sucks. Um, you know, it's, it's overheated. It, it sucks. So then you turn around and at this point in the cycle, you get the return of the feminine. And now all of a sudden we have these weird changes again. This plant that was just growing straight up all of a sudden has fruits budding off of it. And there's, you know, grains inside of it and they're all plump and the corn's all. So this is a, another chaotic change. So we can see the return of the feminine in this point, at this point. So fall is also a very enjoyable time where we have this masculine and feminine mix. But it, it's a little different than spring was. But again, we have that mixed energy which when you're looking at the light spectrums, your spring and your fall light are uh, orangish light where your, your uh, noon light, your high, your high summer light is a, is a blue. And then your, your uh, winter light is like a white dead light. Now that ties in so with in the, fall, the uh, four Royal stars too. If you study those, you have the two that are whitish blue and the two that are yellowish orange. Or reddish orange. Right. Right. And so, um, and all these things I talk about should work on every level. That's the, that's the beauty is I don't have to make these weird disconnects. You know, it, it, it applies because it just applies. It's the way nature works. And so then after the, after the fall, now we move into the high feminine time. And in the high feminine time, what happens in the winter? Everything dies. Everything comes apart. Um, nothing really gets done. And you sit around and you ha have a bunch of real fine ideas. You reminisce about the things that happened last year and you dream about the things that you're going to do next year. And when you're dreaming about them, you bet your ass, you, you imagine we're going to go out and do this and it's going to be like this, but you don't really know until you get there and start doing it. And then it's going to be entirely different than you imagined. But all we're talking about with this is just a cycle. And we're at that point in the cycle where we're in the high feminine, where it's all ideas, everything's falling apart, and the masculine's completely gone. And what's gonna happen is, is that's gonna get to an epitome to where we can't eat. And we can see this coming. Look at the food system's already falling apart. The supply chains are falling apart. When, when, people can't supply themselves with something. We even take that simple example of last year with toilet paper. People were losing their shit over toilet paper, over washing your ass. People have been washing their ass since the beginning of existence and toilet paper, I'm pretty sure has not existed for more than a couple hundred years. Like somehow in the rest of existence, we went without toilet paper and nobody lost their shit. Nobody died over it. Funny like, thing about that is that toilet sink, paper has the exact with... same numerological value in multiple ciphers as the word mind control. So oh, <laughs> maybe it was all just a big test of that's mind control. That's real interesting. Mind I did not control. know that. Yeah, like yeah, it, we were talking well, about at the just, beginning, the whole you know objective what? meaning it, of symbols through cymatics. There could be a similar thing going on with number and the way language works and beyond our construction of language, but how it's just come through all of us over time as an expression of spirit. But man, I let the time get away from us because I was so fascinated by all these awesome subjects. And we really got to wrap up hour one and let people know how they can find you and connect with you and 
give them your plugs and close the, any thoughts that do need to be finished before we move on. So not to rush you, but that's where we're at. We got to make our way there. Oh, not, not a problem, brother. That happens. Um, my name's Benjamin Balderson. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Benjamin Balderson. I'm getting ready. I'm trying to open up a rock fin. I'm very computer handicapped. Um, my uh, website's the heathen um, You can find stuff there, or you can find me on Facebook. Um, and then also, really, if you want to correspond with me, the easiest way to do that is PO Box 32, Alder Point, California, 95511. And if you correspond with me that way, I will definitely correspond back unless you send me a letter that just says you suck or something. Probably not sending you back a letter at that point. But (laughs) other than that, you know, I try and get to everybody's questions, but I really am horribly computer handicapped and have horrible signal most of the time. I've just upgraded. Um, But uh, yeah, that's about it. Cool, man. Thanks for being here. And let's talk off the air about setting up your rock fed. And I've I've uh, advised others in our friend group of peers in the past. So, uh, <laughs> whereas I'm uh, farming handicapped, you, you know, I can help you pick up the slack on the computer side, maybe. So we'll finish up our one. This is greatly been super appreciated. Fun. Yeah. We'll talk about that off air, but all right. We'll catch you guys on the other side for plus members. I meant to get to talking about cell salts, which uh, we did talk about salts that, uh, on the general term, but we're going to, maybe go deeper into that. And man, I'm still not even done with this question of seasons and the sun and the moon as the anode and cathode. So all of that and more. And I think we still even need to finish out discussing the demasculation of society. And, you know, if that, where the intention for that is, or if it's part of a larger cycle or what. So here we go. we got a lot to do. We'll catch you guys on the other side. beginning is the end and the end is the beginning as it is above so it is below as it is on earth so in the sky the outward doth from the inward roll and the inward dwells in the inmost soul that's the full quote everybody we kind of just throw around the as above so below part of it but the outward doth from the inward roll and the inward dwells in the inmost soul, such an important part of that equation. (laughs) So what an awesome alchemy episode we just got to hear. Thank you, Ben Balderson, for the time today. And thanks, everybody, for being patient with the kind of bad internet connection. Benjamin just does not have (laughs) the tech out there in his uh, farm area. So we do what we can, and it's not the first time I've heard him on a show where The connection wasn't so great, but 
I figured that if I can use context and I'm paying attention closely enough while listening to get what he meant, if there's a little bit of dropout, you guys are at least as smart as me, if not smarter. So probably fine. And like I said, really good conversation. Very appreciative. Go ahead and check the show notes for links to everything that I can point you to as far as Benjamin's work, his YouTube channel. And if you wanted to hear the second hour, there were some really excellent nuggets in there. You can find that on Rockfin and Patreon, rockfin.com slash interverse or patreon.com slash interverse. Rockfin is spelled R-O-K-F-I-N, by the way, but like everything, it's in the show notes, so it's very easy for you to just hop over there and check it out, and very worth the time. In this one, we discuss pasteurization and other bad societal choices, cell salts, the uh, alchemical homeopathic tissue salts, if you will, that are kind of popular right now in some of the circles of, of shows that I like to listen to, and I wanted to talk about them myself. I've had a little bit of experience using them. You can hear me discuss that in hour two with Benjamin. And we get into spagyrics, which is his whole deal as an alchemist taking the most incredible potency of plants and exalting that beyond even what it would be in the full plant by refinement. We also got into some symptoms that we could be possibly missing in ourselves that would allude to what type of cell salt we might be able to use to help with that. We talked about whether it's possible to meet Odin slash Hermes slash Thoth, the great work, and the part of ourself that sees the fractal totality of the one life that we all are. Is that a being, a part of our being that we can contact and connect with? We also got into Benjamin's thoughts on distilled water, if that's a good idea to be drinking, if or when or why, and the concept of Ormus. I had some questions about that. We hear a lot about Ormus probably in the things that we listen to, but what is it? Is there a right way to make it? So all that and a lot more in the Plus Extension, and I hope you guys get into it. I definitely am looking forward to trying out some better cell salts than the brand that I was on. I went ahead and got them through the Yum Naturals store, which is Amanda Vollmer's page. So check that out. Look up Yum Naturals, I think, or Yummy Naturals, and you might be able to find the tissue salts there. It seems like a good way to go. I've heard very positive things about those particular that particular brand. The version that I was trying out in the store that uh, is around here, the health food store, all of it had a lactose base. And I'm not sure you can make every cell salt without some sort of an animal product base. But me personally, I can't really do lactose. It doesn't agree with me. I don't agree with it. That was part of the conversation of pasteurization in the plus extension. Maybe if I was uh, taking in some lactose that was not pasteurized first or came from a happy cow in a happy place. I don't know. Maybe it would go better for me, but dairy is just not my thing. It caused so much problems for me in my life, like really bad allergies to every plant and animal on the entire realm. And when I quit it after about a month, all of a sudden I wasn't having all this mucus and all this drainage constantly to the point where I couldn't breathe. So 
maybe that would work for you. I don't know. I know some people can handle it better than others, but for me, it was, it's just not an option anymore and I don't really miss it. And yeah, what else is there to tell you guys about? I was recently on Joe Rube's Lighting the Void. That was a fun show. Not sure if the playback is up yet. I know he's really busy at the moment trying to save the Fringe.fm network. So if you've ever checked out the Fringe before, which has played some episodes of Interverse, I know in the past, might be a good time to toss them a little donation to help them keep the whole network running. I'm sure that's a lot <laughs> to deal with. Having so many moving parts and pieces makes me feel kind of glad that all I've got to do over here is have these conversations and put them out, put them together, and uh, enjoy the feedback and the connection I get with you guys, the audience, most of which is happening in the Telegram group. So get on Telegram, and you can find the link to that in the show notes too, the Interverse Telegram group, where we have a whole bunch of geniuses sharing all kinds of wisdom. And I don't know about you guys, but it's been a weird, it's been a weird summer. I, I know that the uh, astrologers were all warning us like 2021 is going to be pretty heavy. And it definitely has been. There's this weird McAfee dead man switch thing reminded me of all the terrible things that are going on in the corridors of the powers that should not be Hollywood and government and what happens to kids and I'm not a big Q guy, but I definitely am not like going to dispute the fact that the dark occult sorcerers that run the power structures of the world aren't abusing children. It's just a question of how much, but any amount is too much. And we got to stop giving these creepazoids our power. That's for sure. There's also, what else is there to tell you guys about? I think I'm going to be on Weaving Spiders Welcome tonight. I love that channel with the uh, previous guest, Alan Marcus, and the rest of the Weaving Spiders crew. So I'm looking forward to that. Been doing a lot of other people's shows lately, and finding that all of a sudden the uptake in that kind of activity is requiring me to kind of pace myself and not take on too much at once. But it is a lot of fun. I was on one called Breaking Reality with a guy named Joshua McGuire. That was also really cool. We did a great conversation presentation on astrotheology. I need to get better about posting those to my website after they happen. So check out my website down at the bottom of the homepage where the blog section is, and I will get those updated as quick as I can. There are a lot of other interviews that I've been doing lately, so would love to have you guys tune into that if you want to hear me in the guest seat for things. So right on, we're going to Wrap this up. I want to give you guys a, oh, <laughs> I started to talk about how heavy and gnarly it has been this summer. For me this week, what it's been, that's been bizarre is like, I've been getting hurt a lot. Not like major injuries, but scratches, cuts, little shard of glass in the finger or the toe, splinters, stepping on a bad stick while walking outside, bloodying up my feet in some way or another. So I don't know if that's part of the whole Chiron retrograde, like we need to pay more attention to not getting hurt or what. Or maybe it's some sort of way for old energy blockages to release through tearing open my flesh suit. But if that's been happening to you too, then even weirder. Maybe it's just me. Anyway, I'm ready to, ready to move on to really great 
future shows. Definitely want to do another one with Benjamin. We could have kept going for a long time, more than two hours. We had a great hangout off the air, too. Sweet, sweet person to be friends with. <laughs> part of the best, part, well, among the best things about being a podcast host is getting to befriend some of the most amazing geniuses that are out there, at least from my point of view. So, yeah, I'm going to play us out with a tune uh, called Shepherd of Random by our friends Elusive Tuna. I think they're located over in Bristol. So enjoy that. There's my dog barking. I'm going to get out of here and go enjoy the day and looking forward to posting this so you guys can hear it. Much love, everybody out there. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.